about that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Close Your Optional. Today is the 2nd of September, which means that we are starting a new challenge for the month. Last month, it was sugar-free. Melina, my flatmate, and I decided to not eat sugar for the month of August, and we scanned our bodies. We've got a little body scanner at the gym. We scanned ourselves before the month and after, and both of us have lost body fat, especially around our middle, and gained muscle uh, just by having, again, a normal training routine and... Uh, cutting sugar out of our diet. So it was pretty cool. We ate everything else just totally normally. And really just with the elimination of sugar, both of us have dropped a pretty significant amount of body fat. So that was pretty cool. Um, Everything I've read about sugar, I know it's got to be one of the worst things for us, but it also is one of the most addictive things you can put inside your body. I mean, some studies have proven that it's actually more addictive than some illicit substances that we go on and on about, about being the devil's drugs drugs are killing the children but really what's actually happening is that sugar is mostly killing our children um but besides that uh this month we've decided to become vegetarians for the month um i don't really know how to be a healthy vegetarian i was vegetarian for about five years and i certainly wasn't healthy i was also drinking a lot and doing some meth so you know i i wouldn't say it was the vegetables that were making me unhealthy but This time, for this month, I am still going to eat fish because I think it's important to keep my brain healthy with omegas and um, good fats. I'm going to also eliminate dairy. So see how we go for the month. Um, If you have any ideas on how to be a healthy vegetarian, by all means, please do send them through to me. I would love to hear your ideas. Um, Now, on to the conversation. This conversation is with my friend Caitlin, who is a fractal artist which means she makes art out of math. Math may sound a little bit boring, but when you actually think about it, everything in existence is made out of math and recurrent patterns, down to your very DNA and the DNA of the bacteria and microorganisms that make up you and who you are. This is a great conversation about the nature of being a self in the universe, as most of my podcasts seem to be these days, and a great conversation about art. Hope you guys have a good week. Hope you enjoy the conversation. And I'll talk to you again soon. Welcome back, Caitlin. Yes, well, thanks for having me back. <laughs> I'm I'm glad it was you because it was good to be able to come and hang out with you again, but I'm sorry we had to re-record. We had so many good things we talked about too, and now they're all gone. That's all right. That's completely fine. I kind of actually was thinking about it when you called me and said that we were having some technical issues. I was like, actually, that's a good thing because I don't know 
how I felt about myself, like talking about certain things. I felt like I was very jittery and very nervous. And now I'm just like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's cool. I know so. it does help. Like the more we get to know each other, the easier it is too, because it feels more like you're just talking to a mate. Cause yeah. anytime, anytime the recording equipment goes on, whether it's a fucking video camera or anything, you always become this mm. alternate self. But do you know, this is a funny concept. Have you ever heard of the spotlight effect? No, I haven't. There's a concept in psychology called the spotlight effect. I've talked about this quite a bit, so forgive me, everybody, if you listen to this podcast. (laughs) I'm always just on repeat. (laughs) Um, This concept is that you assume that you're in the spotlight constantly, basically. You assume Mm -hmm. that everything that goes on around you is about you. So everybody's reactions to you, all the things, everything that's going on, everything's looking at you, thinking about you. But the simple fact is every single human being is in the spotlight in their own mind so no one's looking at anybody because they're all thinking you're looking at them it's all a facade (laughs) yeah they're everybody is so concerned with what everyone else is thinking about them that they're not looking they they actually are not looking at you at all yeah so don't worry From the outside, you seem very normal and easy. Oh, thank you. And the inside, it's always like... Ugh. That's good to know. It's like when you, you meet a boy for the first time, you're like, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. Oh, yeah. I can to. feel it in myself. I do this fucking stupid thing. It's so annoying to me. I It doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, I'll get in this mode where I'm so insecure that I actually can't... It, it feels like somebody's pulled like... I've, nylon stocking over my whole body and I'm stuck inside it and I can't speak. Everything I do comes out like try hard. I'm, I'm laughing awkwardly at dumb things that don't need to be laughed at. Just, mm-hmm. I am a, such, and, and I'm so embarrassed for myself when I go home. Those are like my most worthless days. If I go home after an experience like that, I feel se- like I just shouldn't exist anymore. Like I'm such a piece of shit. <laughs> it's so shitty. I can, I can relate though. Like sometimes like I have to go to certain events or anything like that. Even with the podcast last time, like just, I think I overthink things. Like yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll finish. I finished up here last time. I went out for lunch, and then after lunch, finished because I was so happy <clears throat> doing the podcast. I was like, "Oh my god, this is such a cool experience!" And then when I got home, and it was just me and that <laughs> echo that we talked about earlier in, yeah. in the head, um, I was just like, "Oh, I remembered the things that I started on, or I remember the things that didn't really go anywhere." And I'm like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that." And then it was just that whole like, "Yeah, did I ramble?" Yeah. yeah, and I was like, "Oh, I shouldn't," you know, yeah. yeah. This is the best thing about doing stuff like this in general. I think this is helping me with my writing and it's definitely helping me with um, other projects that I'm working on because it's like it forces you to just not take yourself too seriously. You acknowledge Mm -hmm. that you're a human being that does stuff. And the more I listen back to myself, the more... I can hear when I'm doing dumb things, like every once in a while I try too hard to like throw a joke in and I know it just, oh, it's just cringy. Me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And then other times I'll, I'll be like, oh... I th- I was really nervous at that point. I was really awkward, and it came out fine. Mm-hmm. I actually asked a good question. I didn't I didn't realize that I did well then, yeah. you know. And then you listen to it yeah. later, and you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad. That's not terrible. Yeah. And every time you do it again, it's like having an awareness of yourself. Like mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't, are not willing to look in the mirror, you're never going to find out if you've got shit on your face. Exactly. If you're not willing to listen to yourself and ex- experience your own self in the world, then you're never going to learn. Yeah. And like you were talking about um, your partner just before he makes movies mm-hmm. and that he had to get rid of his films offline because he was like embarrassed of them now. Yeah. I think there is something so powerful in that because 
basically all it means is that you're doing better work now. You've learned enough. I, I, if I'm not embarrassed by something that I've done two years ago, five years ago, last month, then mm-hmm. I'm not learning enough. I'm not growing enough. We should always be a little bit embarrassed about what we did because yeah. it means we're learning our craft better. Yeah. Like with the films, what we were talking about earlier is that we, because we've learned so much and we've done so much and we've grown so much, um, looking back on it, it's kind of like that cringe factor where we're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, oh, that was a terrible yeah, decision. Like, <laughs> like, oh, look, you know, but um, you kind of look back at it with love as well because like if we didn't do that we wouldn't be where we are yeah oh, at totally. the moment and so it's kind of this weird feeling of like oh my god I don't want to look at it but at the same time I want to acknowledge it yeah because we're, we're, we're proud of it but we're embarrassed about it <laughs> yeah. it's the weirdest feeling having yeah. that level of proud and embarrassed well you, you were saying these are full feature films right how long were they uh well we did like two parts so if you think like Kill Bill part one part two sort of a thing yeah it was a, so the first one went for 45 minutes and that was just us sort of like laying groundwork for the story and everything but the second one bloody went for two hours and 15 minutes oh my god yeah this because um we tried two different techniques as well so with the first one we filmed like over one or two days every weekend for like six weekends. So it was filmed over six weeks, but one or two days each week. And then the second one, we were like, let's try something different. Let's all get two weeks off work for this period of time. And let's just do every day. Like, and that, that was in, that was oh intense that two weeks. Cause like, you, remember we're 17, 18 years old at this <laughs> yeah. point. Um, Literally, we're all on like red pee plates and everything like that. And there's like curfews and everything. We didn't care about curfews, but you know, don't repeat that. <laughs> you <laughs> um, badass. <laughs> <laughs> we'd like, we'd all wake up at like 6 a.m. and we'd start film. We'd get to like the location, which was just other people's houses. Yeah. And yeah parents yeah. that were kind enough to let us like chill and film at their, <laughs> at their houses. But um, yeah, we just, we just film and mon- the budget was literally spent on lunches and petrol getting yeah. from one place to another and some days would go for like literally 18 hours because like we'd wake up at 6 a.m we'd start filming at like 8 yeah, in the wow. morning and um we wouldn't stop until like 11 12 at night sometimes even longer i think one of the nights we went until like two o'clock in the morning were you guys working off a script and a storyboard or did, yep yeah you so you did the yeah. full foundations beforehand and everything yeah so yeah. like we had my partner who wrote the story with his friends so like they sort of co-wrote the story together and um Another one of our friends, she did the storyboarding and like the sort of like costume concept. Not that there were much costumes involved anyway. It was just like, oh, what's in your wardrobe? Okay, we'll use that. <laughs> yeah. But um, and did you do yeah. like character development with each other and stuff? And, yeah, yeah, we, right. yeah. Like, like if like if there was a scene and we're like, oh, you know what? Since this has happened and we've already filmed this, maybe they wouldn't actually do this. Maybe they try this way. Like it was just the whole and it it wasn't a proper set it was literally just a bunch of kids with a camera that just is having so fun. cool it was it was so fun and like we did a whole lot of shit wrong and like there was a, no sort of workplace health and safety in place at all <laughs> but no one was hurt we're all fine yeah like, a few minor cuts and bruises but that's no, it, was... it is so fun to make a little story come to life like that this mm-hmm. is my ever since i was about six my my friend 
me and her little sister used to every, all the time, every weekend, we'd be at each other's house making stupid movies. Her mom had like one of those old VHS cameras. You put a physical VHS tape into it, oh, and yes, sit it and on it a would record. <laughs> it would record right onto the VHS tape. And, and then you have to cut, like you could edit it only by just like rewind to that spot and then record over it. Wow. So you had to film yeah. it in sequence. Oh, it was so fun. We're just so stupid. It yeah. is amazing. Just like what we were talking about before, when you've got an idea in the inside of your head, mm-hmm. it's awfully well and good in the same way that you can have a dream and be like, yeah, that works. That makes sense that I was flying and then I mm-hmm. turned into my cousin and then I like bought a sheep and it became my boyfriend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like all those <laughs> yep. things make sense inside a dream world. And then when you actually go to put it on paper, it's like, what the fuck? None mm-hmm. of that would ever work. <laughs> This happens to me constantly with my art project, with with ideas of video projects I'm trying to work on. Oh, yeah, that could be cool. I'll try that. Mm. And then you actually try and get it out there. And the execution of a thing is that's where mastery comes in, I think, in my opinion. Like people can have ideas. People can have ideas about what they want in their life. Mm -hmm. But the execution of it is what makes the difference between someone who achieves it and somebody who has always had a good idea. Yep. So true. And it is hard. You come up on so much resistance when you're doing something like that. Yep. And you have to, yeah, I, I'm right now, I, I'm just doing that. We're making a um, documentary at the moment. We're just in pre-production now, just mm-hmm. film, setting out the planning and setting out the log line to start the script. Oh, wow. And it's so fun. Like, it's so exciting. I haven't done this shit since I was at university because I've always done just these little projects for myself. I love, like, the little stupid web series and dumb things that I make. Yep just to entertain myself kind of, but now I'm actually working with somebody who wants to make, make a full make, scale yeah, movie. Make a product, yeah. mm, so exciting. But I, I'm getting the same kind of anxiety too every once in a while that like, Oh fuck, I've committed to this. Yep. I'm, I've offered a solution <laughs> to his problem and I need to make this happen. Yep. Every time I come up against some kind of resistance, Oh, I'm not sure that's going to work. I can't run away. Yep. You have to try and get it done get it done it's my with my own self anytime i have an idea and i don't like it when i start putting it onto paper i just run away <laughs> i'm like oh yeah that didn't work i'll just leave it it's like you draw one half and you're like you know i really like this but if i know if i try and draw the other half of the face like i'm gonna stuff it up so i'm just gonna leave it as like a half a face yes <laughs> yeah. oh my god the amount of drawings i have where that character has one eye yeah because the other eye, i can never figure out how to get it like lined up properly that's why i never got into drawing in the first place because i had that anxiety like like what I mentioned last time in the podcast like I had an anxiety attack a week before I started the first proper art class in high school yeah and it was like oh for god's sake Caitlin it's just art that's what my mum said to me yeah a week before I started I was panicking because I couldn't draw couldn't paint couldn't do shit and so illogical that that anxiety is so illogical but it feels so vulnerable and I don't Mm -hmm. understand why like here's an example that because I have had that kind of anxiety um, in relation to art mm-hmm. and the same exact anxiety in relation to a fight where somebody is physically going to damage me. Mm-hmm. I, there is an option at the end of that day for me to be knocked out asleep in front of potentially 300, 500, whatever people. Yeah. And the internet, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so like this... Those that's a very real danger, yeah. and then there's the anxiety related to having an art show, um, mm-hmm. which is where how we met each other or how we know of each other is from raw. Yeah. So you have this kind of art show, and and on the day of me putting together my shit for the art show, I was so panicked that I was yeah. like, I would rather have a fight right now. Mm-hmm. But the the 
what I don't understand is why those two things feel so similar when the risk is drastically different. Mm. I I don't know. I think maybe it's because like there's there's like three types of pain. There's like physical, there's emotional, and there's mental, which is what I've found. And I guess maybe we relate levels of pain similarly across all three areas, even mm. though they're all completely different things. Yeah. Like I feel like just with my experience, emotional pain is worse because there's no physical way to help it heal. Yeah. Like, we yes, just there's have no to solution. Like, yeah. Whereas physical pain, like you've got a broken arm, you take care of it. You don't move it. Like there's a formula to how, oh, see maths already. There's a yes. formula to how you can heal it. Whereas emotional I pain, there's no, like, like that there's no set way because everyone's different emotionally because mm. it's the stuff that you can't see. Yeah. And relating that back to sort of like the difference between the physical and sort of um, emotional pain, like, maybe that's what it means for with like an art sense versus a fight sense, you know, like at least with a fight, yeah. we know what we're getting into, but there is that danger of, you know, I'm going to get physically hurt from this. But at the same time with the art show, like, you know, that there's no real danger, but the danger is something that can't be seen for everyone else, which I think we tend to weigh equivalent with physical pain. Yeah. So, well, the, the hypnotherapist that I had on here last week was saying that your brain doesn't know the difference between um, actual practice and visualization practice. Oh, so, really? when you visualize doing something, you can visualize it perfectly because you understand, in the same way we've been talking about with this idea, my idea occurs in my head perfectly. Yeah. So, if I fixate on that idea and keep rolling it over and over and over again, my brain is actually working it out. But there's no okay. physical feedback loop. And, and when you do something like a physical act, like say I'm training for a fight and I imagine myself as one of the fighters that I watch on YouTube. So I mm-hmm. watch a TIE fighter over and over and over again and imagine myself inside his body doing those kicks, doing those punches. Yeah. My brain can't tell the difference between that and me training that way. Wow. So that if I do that, a dedicated practice of that over and over and over again, when I actually go back to training, my training will improve. And they've done measurements. They've done actual studies on this because it was an idea and then it became an actual fact. It's pretty incredible. That's insane. So probably, I think you must be exactly right then, that your perception of pain, whether it's physical or emotional, is identical. Your brain can't tell the difference between being anxious about an art show or being anxious because you're running away from a tiger. They're the same. Yeah. And and what I think is interesting to me is that why that feels so vulnerable in art specifically like, cause I can understand feeling vulnerable in a relationship with another person mm-hmm. because, but I, do you know, maybe it is the same thing. Cause it's like, everything's riding on that for me. I always put too much pressure on myself because I need this thing to define me. Yeah. Like I need to be seen as, um, on the level with my peers. I want people in the art community to respect me. Mm-hmm. So it is a matter of survival for me that when I produce artwork, they, can see what I'm trying to do and I'm not making an embarrassment of myself. Yeah. It's kind of like a level of validation sort of mixed in with a, mm. um, that, that, I guess there's no other word for it, that vulnerability, mm. you know, cause it's, it's literally yourself cause with a lot of works, like you put your heart and soul into it, the ones that you're really proud of, you might be really proud of it and other people might just go, oh yeah, mm. with it. And like, even though it might just like roll over their heads or whatever, it's still like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And it just like stab you like a knife, yeah. you know. 
So well, it's it's also an articulation of the feeling that you got when you made something that you really connected to. It is mm-hmm. really hard to share that with anybody else, yeah. and I think that's why we love love so much. You know why we're constantly seeking love yeah. is because it is that same feeling, but that feeling reflected in another person back to you, yeah. like. When I make a painting, my painting doesn't love me back. It will constantly reward me by looking at it and acknowledging like, wow, I really connected to that thing that day. I had an idea. I really wanted to make it. I sat through a little bit of resistance to get it. But usually the best paintings kind of come out of you without Mm. too much difficulty. Yeah. You know, you do have to keep persevering when you get a little bit tired and you're kind of done with it. you got to finish the job. But Mm. for the most part, when I have a good painting that I feel really connected to, by the end of it, I can look at that in five years and go, ah, I got that that day. It's not my best work, but I did get that. I understood it that day. But it's not going to hold me. It's not going to hug me and tell me that and Mm. confirm that I felt that way about it. And that's what's so, I think where the doubting mind comes in is that I'll feel like I have that connection to something I've done and I'll be really proud of it. And I'll feel like, oh, I definitely did this. You put it out in the world. And then if people don't have any kind of response to it, you start to second guess that you actually did feel the connection you thought you felt. Yeah. Same is also true reverse as well, what I found, because there's this one piece that I did during um, a pretty dark time for me. And whenever I show people my entire like um, collection of things that I've done, they always point to that one. They go, wow, that's really beautiful. <laughs> and that was at a time where I was like feeling at my worst. And I was like, yeah, because like, I'm not partial to it. Like It's not that I hate it, but I don't feel any positive connection to it it's like like there's a connection and I acknowledge that it's you know good because it you know got me to where I am today yeah but I don't have a good association with it but everyone's like oh that's so beautiful you know and it's like oh thank like how do you respond to that yeah you don't, you don't want to open up that can of worms and go, oh thanks that's around the time that you know this thing happened to me mm-hmm. it's like Good Lord. But that, I, I mean, that's kind of the power in what art is. And that, isn't that mm. an amazing thing? This is something that um, I am still trying to come to terms with. And, but it's a very good piece of advice. And it's that you're not in control. Once that thing is done, you're no longer in control of it mm. anymore. You, your job is to create an emotion through something. And art, communicate your emotion through a thing, a visual medium, whatever. Yeah. Once it's gone... Once it's done and you put it on the wall, it becomes theirs. It becomes the world's. It becomes everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that you can't control how somebody's going to react to you at the grocery store, you can't control how somebody's going to react to your artwork. You just, it's not within your control. And a lot of times it definitely, oh, fuck it. It's a crazy thing where you think you're trying to say something and then someone looks at it. Most of the time for me, it's like, what's that supposed to be? (laughs) And I'm always like, I just, I don't, I don't it's not supposed to be anything. Yeah. You know, like I don't need, I don't, I'm trying not to get upset by things like that. It's like, I don't know. I just had a feeling and the thing came out of me. It was an idea. And the more I try and articulate the idea, the more cheesy and corny and stupid it sounds. Yeah. Cause it kind of just cheapens the whole process. Like the idea was I had a feeling and it came out of me and this is the result. That's what, that's what terrified (laughs) me. That's what terrified me about art because like, and what attracted me so much to abstract art as well, like what I mentioned last week. See, I keep referring to last week, but they won't know what we I know, and they won't know. So it's brand um, new for them. Yeah. So just let it go. I have to keep reminding myself. So like <laughs> in regards to sort of abstract art, I, I was so paranoid because I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint, couldn't do anything. 
Um, and if we were tasked with like drawing an apple or something, I'd deliberately make it abstract yeah. so that, you know, people would go, what's that? And I go, that's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. It's an yeah. apple. Because that way I didn't have to put that pressure on myself to try and like conform to like, oh, you've got to draw an apple. Mm. Here's my attempt at an apple. And like, oh, that's not a very good apple. Yeah. Like I deliberately make it so abstract and maybe just like put in the colors of the apple or whatever yeah i'd be like there you go well what do you say to somebody's argument that abstract art is for people who can't draw um i'd agree with them (laughs) because that's literally how i feel but i think like you can't say one form of art is better than another Mm. like i have so much admiration and so much respect for people who are really good at doing realism because, like, the techniques that they use and, like, I'm cautious to use the word talent because, like, talent can be innate but it can also be built. Yeah. But um, the, the, the talent, the, the passion and everything like that, like, I have so much admiration and respect for that. And then on the other hand, why I like abstract art so much is because it gives people that freedom. And for me it opens up conversation paths because if you have an abstract mm. piece, like, on the wall or whatever and someone comes up to you and goes, what's that? Mm. You can go, well, I'm not too sure. You Can can you tell me what you see? Yeah, what do you think? What do you yeah. feel? Mm. And, it's, and it's that dialogue. So it's not the piece itself, but it's that dialogue that I've had with people mm. that, you know, is really, really interesting and something that I feel is like equivalent, if not more valuable than the actual art itself. Yeah, oh, totally. Because there was one when I did Raw as well, like I was petrified because that was the first – um, sort of like interactive experience because I sort of like to be like the anonymous artist, you yeah, know, totally. like give 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 a gallery full of like all of my shit and don't tell anyone who I am and I can just talk to people, that's fine. Mm. As soon as you put that spotlight on me, re- referencing what we were talking about earlier, it's like, no, because they know who I am now. I can't I can't have that, you know, openness to it because there's already the stigma attached to it. Like, oh, I'm speaking to an artist, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it it becomes about you and less about the work, which is always mostly everybody's downfall. Anybody that creates Mm -hmm. anything, myself included, as soon as it becomes about me, the shit, it looks cheap and contrived and try hard. And that's why when I did Raw, like I was, I was pretty scared when I did that because you had to stand in front of your stall, like just in case, like you couldn't leave it. So yeah, like just having, but everyone was really, really nice and it was just an invalid fear that Mm. I was feeling, but that's why I love that conversation point of abstract art. Yeah. Because it takes away a bit of the vulnerability that I had. And oh, totally. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, it's not about um, like the, it's not necessarily about the representation of a thing that people are, I have an expectation I need to match the expectation. This looks like a picture of a dog and now I'm comparing it to what real dogs look like or photographs of dogs. Yep. And then I can say, well, that's not quite it. But because that is, I, I agree with you, like with the advent of digital video and digital mm-hmm. photographs, we can all take a photograph constantly of something and you can blow it up on a wall and it's a beautiful thing. And you can take a painting and sit with that photograph and paint the photograph. Yep. You can make realistic paint um, paintings. And I get it. I, I agree that there is value in having the like amount of focus and, and being able to break an object, an image into its individual parts to replicate it perfectly is... Yeah, it's into talent for sure. Mm. But there is something to be said for translating an emotion. What I really like, my favorite type of art is um, uh, 
why I can't think of this with surrealist. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Um, I like surreal art because I love the idea that a classically trained person has mm-hmm. the capability of creating sort of like a realistic type of image, but puts it in a place where it doesn't belong. Yeah. So exactly as you say, the artwork creates a conversation around this idea. You can look at it, someone can look at it and they immediately feel an emotion. I'm not in control of what that emotion is, but then there is like, oh, why is that next to that? That doesn't make any sense. It's like, exactly. That's the point. That's the point. In in the same way that a dream doesn't make any sense, I like the idea. I like the way that our brains make fucking no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then you put them out in the world and then you have to deal with what happens to you. It's the same thing that happens in real life. Like we were talking before about hiding behind yourself. I have this person in front of me that I need to impress, whether it's um, for a job, a boyfriend, whatever. There's there's something that I need to be my best version for. And of course, because of that, I become my worst version of myself. It means too much. I'm scared and I shut down. And so it's like, why... Does the human brain go into those fucked up modes where it just, it does stupid things? Mm. And this is why I love the exploration of images that don't make any sense next to each other because a human being doesn't make sense. Yeah. Everything we so do true. is like contradictory. You, we, we want this goal and we will invent a billion reasons why we can't get there. Yeah. The more important the goal, the more resistance we create for ourselves. Yeah. We are like a walking oxymoron. We're walking excuses as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. Aren't we? It's yeah. the worst. Yeah. I know. And I, and I think like having that self-awareness again, that, that taking the time, record yourself, mm-hmm. listen back to yourself, be objective, listen to other things. I just, what was it that I, oh yeah. I follow this guy on Instagram that makes these really funny, stupid videos. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was watching one of them this morning and he made the stupid video in the same style that he always does, but this time he was selling a t-shirt. So he's got his normal style that's really funny. He's never wants anything from you. He's just there to entertain you. And he's got this huge following on Instagram. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he starts using that character to sell his wares. Yeah. And I was so creeped out by it. I was just disgusted. It was almost to the point where I just wanted to like unfollow him. Mm. And I don't blame That's, him because he needs to make a li- living yeah. for himself. Like he's been doing this for so long and that many people are interested in it. But now he wa- he's, yeah, <laughs> it was just, I felt cheated. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to watch a funny video. And then all of a sudden he's trying to sell me something. Mm. I felt so grossed out by it. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's, that's an interesting point to like sort of take into account because there's a, like money and, you know, being able to live, let's just say it's money. Um, you need that to sort of, you know, it's, it's fuel. You need that to get through life. Like not, not many people like love it. A lot of people hate it, but that's the truth. Like you need to get it to live and just, yeah. When, when it comes to social media and using your practice to try and actually sell something, you know, there's only so much that you can give for free before you need to sort of put as, as hard as it is for most of us to sort of like put that hand out and be like, yo, if there's anything that you want to contribute, you can. Mm. I think it, it honestly depends on the person, the content and the audience that they're targeting. Like yeah. you have to factor in all of those things, but I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing that. 
because that is kind of like the world that we are transitioning into and it's going to be the norm in the future. Yeah. Um, but it just feels weird at the moment because we're not used to it. Yeah. And, oh, you know, true. especially if, if you're expecting to, you know, if you've got a co-worker who wears a, red sh- who wears a red shirt every day and then one day you come in and they're wearing blue, nothing's changed except for this one little element. But it's like, holy hell, like what? what yeah. It's, you know, it's a shock to the system. And I guess like when it comes to, you know, you're expected to being given stuff for free, like, you know, this creator is like giving you stuff and giving and giving and giving. And then all of a sudden, hey, do you want, you want to buy my shirt? You can buy my shirt here. And it's like, oh, yeah. you expect me to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So like it, it honestly depends on the situation. That's kind of my default answer when it comes to this sort of a thing yeah like with most things but it's very interesting to talk about yeah well and I think like that's a lot of where my shame comes from and why I don't make any money on anything that I do ever Mm -hmm. because I'm so scared of being that person like I judge that person person so harshly for for being that way and and it's ridiculous it's because like I mean, the only way I'm ever going to, I see myself having a future is if this podcast eventually makes me money or my artwork eventually makes me money, but I'm so ashamed of making money out of these things that I yeah. won't do it. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be that person. I just don't, I don't want to be somebody who it becomes a gimmick of myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it makes sense. I think maybe because like we've also grown up with the fact of like, if you see a person on the street who's begging for money, there's a stigma attached to that. Yeah. Like, you know, only so many people will think, oh, poor thing and try and help. But most of the people will be like, well, you got yourself into that situation. So there's already yeah. that sort of subconscious stigma that we put on that. And you can kind of relate that to art terms if you think about it because we are the artists, we're asking for contribution and people will be like, well, anyone can do art. Mm-hmm. Why, yeah, yeah. why should we give to you? Oh, I guess yes. that's kind of the – because. I know what you mean about asking for money. I feel really dirty when someone, yes. when someone, especially like I just did a commission for a friend of mine, bless her, and it almost felt like I had to pay her money because I felt so insecure about myself <laughs> that like, oh, my God, someone actually wants this on my wall. Like, I'll pay you. Like, yeah. thank, <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for thank acknowledging you so. me. And like we, we worked out a very fair, you know, mm. thing, but like she, she saw that I felt that insecure with myself and she was so nice. And so like, no, you have to accept something, something. Mm. And so, yeah, like it just, it just makes you feel dirty, even though it's not meant to. Well, and it's it understanding your value. Cause, cause you're right. Like there's a stigma around this idea that, oh, I could sit around in my pajamas all day and think of ideas and eventually make a painting. Mm. But the real answer to that is, yeah, but you don't. I've made a choice that is, more or less unstable and unsafe in the current environment that we're in. Yeah. I, I make exactly enough money to make myself survive so that I can free up as much time as possible to think of ideas. And do and, more. And do more. And in yeah. the same vein of what you were talking about before with this emotional hurt, like um, if I have a broken arm, I, I listen to a doctor, they give me advice, and I, if I follow the steps, more or less, my arm is going to heal itself and I'm going to be fine. Yep. But when you create art, there is no formula. There is there's no, no art recipe. doctor. Yeah. No, there's no way of knowing, A, if you're succeeding or not succeeding. And there's yeah. no way of really improving your skill. You can go to university and they can teach you how to do stuff, but no one teaches you inspiration. No one teaches yeah. you that, that all of a sudden 
and you'll be in the middle of a project and you're going to get this insane resistance that comes out of the inside of your head and tells mm-hmm. you you're a total piece of shit and nothing you ever do is going to be valuable. Yep. And you have to, on your own, inside this echo chamber of your head, remember that the purpose of completing the project is bigger than you and your own fear and find your way through that, come out on the other side and deliver a product. Yep. It is so fucking hard. It is. And, and I'm not saying that my job's any harder than a coal miner or anyone else. I'm just saying that like the amount of mental strain and confusion and fear that goes mm-hmm. into living a kind of creative life that's independent of bosses and normal structures in society is yep. difficult. Yeah. I, I used to, I, I kind of have this, like the way that people have yo-yo dieting. I have yo-yo yep. employment. Yep. <laughs> I, I like being a job for a while because I've been that poor and that mm-hmm. fucking stressed and confused that I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go and get an admin job for a while. Yep. And I go nine to five, do an admin job. And I've noticed that my cycles get shorter and shorter as yep. I get older and know myself more. I can go and do that admin job before for, let's say, two years. And it's killing me. And I know that eight hours of the day, I'm sitting there in front of a computer typing numbers into a computer that I don't want to be there. It's wasting. It's not contributing at all to my value, my meaning, my purpose in my life. But I know I have to do it because it's a means to an end. But then the next time I do it, then I'm like, fuck this job. I'm out. (laughs) And I'll go and I'll be like, I'm making artwork. That's it. I'm so full of power and passion because I've been so like not been able to do the artwork. So then suddenly this is all I want to do. This is me for the rest of my life. Mm. And I go gung ho at it for three months, four months. Then the doubt creeps in. I'm not making any money. Nobody gives a fuck about what I'm doing. And why would they, you know, why should they, it's not their responsibility to validate me, Mm -hmm. but then I get stuck in my head and I go, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. I'm, I'm not good enough. I've never been to school. So who am I? kidding and yep. I go back go back to an admin job and start all over again mm-hmm. and this is the first time that I've just flat out made this commitment like I don't care what it is I don't care what it takes I will find a way yeah. to get through this and uh, honestly it's it's actually been the discipline coming from learning a martial art that's got me on this yep. path because I just realized I have to treat my artwork the same way I treat fighting training. Yeah. And one of my trainers is really good for this. Iggy, he's, um, he's a mindset mentor. He's a a coach of ours and he's also in my corner for all of my fights. And he, um, all the time is helps me clarify what's happening inside my head. When I start feeling that resistance and that doubt, he goes, when you feel that in the morning before you have to run, do you stop running? I go, no, I, I go, I show up because I know it matters to me that I win the fight and that yeah. I'm healthy and safe in the fight. I got to do the work. And he goes, well, why would you run away when you're making a painting then? Why would you stop? You feel mm-hmm. that resistance, push through it, keep going. It needs like, to be artist coach like that, like oh, coaches oh, for I artists. Because it's just like we've got these fabulous people who can help us with mindset and everything for every sort of like other industry. But when it comes to arts, it's like, because there's so much like individuality and it's so hard to have a general blanket, you know, motivational sort of mindset for it. It has to be tailored individually. I know. And we all need a mindset coach for being artists. Like, <laughs> I know. And this is a bit of a lofty presumption, but that is exactly why I created this podcast. the main reason I created it because I noticed within fighters, uh, comedians, artists, graphic artists, um, anybody that's pushing themselves to try and do something hard, they all run up against the same wall. Yeah. But some of them have had coaches that have told them how to get through it. Some of them have found their own way through it. And by asking them these questions and just being like, well, how did you get through that? How does this feel for you? You start linking up the dots and realizing that pretty much everybody in any kind of independent endeavor 
even if it's business, even if it's something they're just trying to climb some ladder, they are still facing these same kind of walls. And then if I can get a conglomeration of all of of them together (laughs) and put it out on the internet, maybe... It'll help people connect the dots and so they can can have their own, like, click moment. Yeah, and just do what they want to do. Yeah. I don't know what causes happiness in the world. I I, I just know that in my own personal experience, when I'm avoiding that voice in my head that tells me that I want meaning, I want connection, I want to feel engaged in my life, I want to wake up in the morning and be excited to work on something. Mm -hmm. I know that that's what, I guess, gives me meaning or gives me the reason to wake up. So if I'm doing that actively and not falling into that trap of doubt or falling into that safe place of like, oh, I'll just go back and get a job because I'm scared and I don't, I'm, I don't trust that I'll be able to do the work or I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm just miserable. And I imagine most people out there are kind of suffering from the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I love having this conversation about like happiness and trying to find, you know, the purpose in life and everything because it's just so interesting to talk. I've actually, I legit have been talking to people about this recently. Really? And um, from the small amount of people that I've talked to, they all will, they are all happy if they do two things. One, that if they focus, that they're allowed to focus on what they want to do. And two, if they're helping other people, Mm. I find that helping others, because that's a big driver for me. Like I, growing up, I wanted to um, always help people. That was a common factor. Like I wanted to be a doctor. Didn't like the, you know, (laughs) I I, I, I didn't like blood. I was like, oh, that's out. (laughs) I wanted to be a vet. I didn't want to put up with the sadness of having to, you know, put the poor babies down or anything like that. And I went through all of these medical things and I was like, that's not me, but I still want to help people. And same for others as well. I think the key is to like find what you're good at and give that back to other people because there are always other people in similar situations. Like it comes back to that whole thing of like you are not alone sort of a thing. There are people that are going through similar things. So, yeah. Well, and it takes you out of that echo chamber. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I could not agree with you more, man. When you're doing the thing that you love and that's it, you are all on your own planet. Mm-hmm. And, and a, a lot of times, like, like people would say, that, oh, just do what you love. Just do what makes you happy. And it's like, no, that's not necessarily it, man. That's half of the solution. Yeah. So I've done that. I've taken six months off, made a shitload of money in the mines, took six whole months off to do nothing but make artwork. Yeah. I wrote a book. In that period of time, because I had that much fucking time on my hands, and I made a couple paintings every day, probably. I started them, had new ideas. I was making all different kinds of weird shit, cool stuff, totally experimental. I even Mm -hmm. had a little market stall, so I was putting it out in the world, and I was fucking miserable by the end of it. I couldn't understand it, because it was my whole life up to that point had been working to that thing. This is what I want to do with my life. And then, of course, the doubt comes in and goes, oh, maybe you're not an artist. And I realized, yeah, maybe I'm not an artist. I mean, that's also a possibility. But more than anything, I'm not contributing to the world in a meaningful way at all. This is pure self-indulgence. I Mm -hmm. might as well just be like laying in bed masturbating all day because that's all I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like feeling yourself pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And then um, the one thing that changed, and I don't don't mean to sound like life coachy here. <laughs> but the one thing that changed is that I saw an ad for the RSPCA, which um, obviously you guys know, but in America, that's like your animal welfare league or whatever, yeah. um, that they had an adoption center right around the corner from my house and they mm-hmm. needed volunteers to do four hours a week. 
I went there and I just cleaned up dog shit for four hours once a week. And it was, it completely changed my life. Like yeah. completely turned my life around. It wasn't the dogs. It wasn't the people. It wasn't just me feeling good about myself. It was literally just that escape that I am not the most important fucking thing in the world. That yeah. the world doesn't revolve around me. That these dogs are going to be happy and carefree if they don't have to step in their own shit all day. And my only job is to go in there, clean it up, and literally like three minutes later, they'd come in and just shit all over the floor again. <laughs> and it didn't matter. Yeah. I was never angry at them. They never did it to me. Because yeah. when you get inside that echo chamber, inside your bedroom, it's like, oh, the world's out to get me. I'm, a, I'm so pathetic. I can't get anything done. And then you realize like, no, the world just goes on. Yeah. Whether you exist or you don't exist, whether you're making artwork or not making artwork, no one cares. This isn't about you. This is about you creating a connection to your value in this life. Yep. And what are you going to do about it? Yep. And I think in conjunction with the, because you need to be selfish at some points in your life, but in conjunction with that, that's probably what happiness is. It's giving back and being yourself while giving back. Mm. Yeah, it's that authenticity because that's the other problem is that when we lose track of who we are, mostly because we get lost inside the echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And it can be a positive thing or a, or a negative thing. Like I can have the echo chamber that tells me I'm a piece of shit or an echo chamber that tells me I'm the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Either one of them is toxic and yeah. not close to the truth, not even a little bit. So true. Yeah. And anytime you get in a disassociation from the truth in any experience, like anytime you're talking to somebody else and you start to see them lying to you or vice versa, you start lying to them, mm-hmm. how much anxiety just fills up inside I know. you? It's, it's fucking crazy. gross. I hate it, man. And I think that's probably <laughs> like coming back to that poor guy on Instagram who's selling his t-shirts. It was like, I felt lied to because yeah. I felt like he lured me in with his normal, funny silliness and then was, was trying to sell me a product. And I just felt cheated. Like I was like, you could put a link here and you put even a picture that says, Hey, I'm selling t-shirts. And I would have been like, cool, that's neat. If people like your catchphrase and they want to buy your t-shirt, good shit, but that you do it in that way. And probably from his perspective, he was like, I want to make a funny commercial. This would be funny. This would be cool. This Mm -hmm. is a creative way of selling t-shirts rather than just putting a picture on there. And the way I perceived it was exactly the opposite. Yeah. So that poor guy, he's not in control of how I perceive his things. Yep. And that's what's so scary about art in general oh, as well. Is that perception. It? It's like, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even talked at all about what kind of art you make. I mean, this is <laughs> this kind of conversation, I this is my favorite thing in the world to talk about. And for most people they kind of listen to this and go, well, you guys are apps just talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> You're just rambling nonsense about anything. The but shit's the fun part. I know. <laughs> ideas to me, ideas to me are like the, the highest level of conversation is yeah. always an idea. And everyone has different ideas. Uh, and that's just like, it's just so much richness in yeah. conversation. So, But anyways, and yeah. speaking of your artwork, would yeah. you mind explaining to me again? And this, <laughs> pretend like you never did it because I still probably didn't get it anyway. So hopefully this time I'm going to actually understand a little bit better what okay. you're doing. So what do you do? Normally when people ask me, what do I do? I say I make art using mathematics Mm. and immediately I think I have to stop saying that because I think it gives the wrong impression that I'm actually good at maths (laughs) because I am not I 
I only have like, you know, high school level maths where I can like work with work with numbers financially and like perimeter and area and multiplication tables. Like that's the extent of it. Yeah. Um, the sort of math that I work with is I get I get given a formula because there's a whole library of formulas that actual mathematicians have created. And there's a program that allows to read that formula and sort of translate that into a basic image. Yeah, so if you picture a formula, it can look like whatever in your head, say it draws a line, right? What this program allows me to do is go into that formula, maybe tra- change or tweak one or two things, and it might put a bump in that line. And by going through all of the different options, you can turn that simple line into an overall piece of artwork. And so that's the easiest way to explain it. I do, I'm trying to get some videos to do it because I've found out that I'm not actually good at explaining it to people because I tend to waffle on about like, oh, formulas and shit. And then people are like, oh, so you're good at maths? And I'm like, no. And it's like, (laughs) it's a redundant conversation. (laughs) Like, well, and the concept is based on, um, the, the term that they use for this is called fractals. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know with Everything in the world is fractals, but what is a fractal? So a fractal is a term that was coined by Polish mathematician Benoit Mandelbrot. It's where the first ever like visual representation of a fractal came in was Mandelbrot discovered it. And um, it, it was discovered because Mandelbrot, he wanted to figure out a way to measure coastlines and the and the jaggedness and roughness of a coastline because if you think of a of a coastline from a map like a geography perspective and you you draw a line as the crow flies and say it's 1 mile or whatever but then you go in and you map out all of the edges where it like meets the water and everything it gets longer because you have to break down that mile into yeah. smaller sections and as it gets smaller it gets larger yeah if yeah. that makes sense so it gets smaller and smaller the measurements but in actuality, the length of it gets larger and larger. So the more you zoom into something, the yeah, more... The more intricate it is. Yes. And it's called a mathematical monster. That's Again, that's the extent of maths that I know. It's called a monster because, like, they'd come across it from what I've read and they're like, oh, we can't explain this. This is just an anomaly. And then Benoit Mandelbrot came in and was like, no... Like there's there's something in here. There's a pattern. Yeah, there's a pattern. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's kind of how it all started. And so there are, there are literally fractals everywhere. And I love saying this to people because it like mind blows them all the time. But if you look at a leaf in detail mm. and the veins of a leaf, like the veins of a leaf translate into what the branch would look like. Yeah, if you, you know. Like, and what the roots of the tree look like. Yeah. Like if, 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 if you think of a fern, actually, if you've seen a fern and you take one little piece off that fern, it looks like a mini fern. Mm. It looks like a mini branch, like a leaf is a mini branch. Yeah. And then you've got the whole tree and then it just, you know, you could theoretically keep zooming in in a mathematical sense. But there's Forever. only a finite, you know, physical way that we can see it and perceive it. So it's just this great big metaphor for how like everything is connected mm. and everything is a part of oneself. And I guess that's what really attracted me to it. Yeah. It's the core fundamental existence of everything that we can visually experience in yep. the universe. Yeah. And it goes as big as the universe and as small as an atom. 
and it's infinite in either direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fucking mind blowing. It's yeah. crazy, huh? Yeah, because like it just makes you feel so insignificant, but so big at the same time. Yeah. It's like you're so insignificant because you're a part of a whole, but this whole you're you're a part of it. So you you are. It you know, also. you are it. So you are the, the you know you are the center of the universe, but you're also nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> it's very philosophical as well. Well, and that's a really nice thing. I mean, exactly, kind of in the same theme of what we've been talking about. The more you get trapped inside your head and lose connection to the external world around you, the more insignificant you feel. Yeah. In the same way, expand outside of yourself, zoom in, zoom out, and you get a totally different perspective about what matters. Yep. This hypnotist was talking about um, if, say you've got an upcoming art show and you've decided that that's the most important event of your whole life because mm-hmm. your goals are really small. Your goal is to have one art show forever. Yeah. And then suddenly you get this art show and immediately inside your brain, it recalculates everything you've ever lived for is happening now. And you go, oh God, this is the yeah. most important event of my entire life. I will never have as big of an event as this. And yeah. basically you go into system overdrive. You're, there's nothing to live for after this moment, but at the same time, everything rides on this moment. I yeah. must do perfect. And you get to that moment, there's so much stress about it and you completely self-combust. Maybe you don't even show up because it's just too fucking much. Yeah, and in a in a small way, it makes sense that you would self destruct because you think you're going to die after that. Yep. You've decided that this is the culmination of your life. Then why would you show up? Because that means there's nothing yet let to li- yet yet left to live for. Yep. And this is why we have inexplicable, you know, self destruction points where you you should be doing something that you know is good for you, but then for some reason you decide you don't want to do it. That's yep. that explains that. Mm-hmm. But he said if your goals are massive constantly in a fractal sense, constantly create little goals that are in line with that big goal. There are smaller patterns within the grand pattern of your life and your experience. Having such a big goal that is so big that it almost seems unattainable, Mm -hmm. but every smaller goal on the way to that goal is attainable. Then each one is just a step in that direction. There's never that pressure. This is not the end of your life. Everything is a part of the process to get you to the next step in the same way that a seed has to, a seed has to stop being a seed in order for it to be a tree. And if it's attached to the fact of being a seed, if it is identifying as a seed, it's always been a seed. My dad was a seed. (laughs) I've always been a seed. You're going to stay a seed. But yeah. you fucking crack through it. At some point, you have that moment where you go, I think I might be able to be a tree. I'm not yeah. sure, but I know that if I crack through this shell and plant myself in the ground, I will become a tree. Yeah. Because the pattern in the inside of that seed, the DNA inside that seed is the same DNA that's in the tree. Yep, yeah, exactly. You just pretty much, can I get you to come along to all of my art shows <laughs> and, and explain it for me? Because that's, that's actually so cool wow. to think of it like that. Yeah, that's it's incredible. exactly like that. Wow, man. They are, and your um, drawings, paintings, I don't know what we call them, digital um, art yeah, representations. Ju- yeah, just call it digital art because there's, like, I don't paint, I don't draw, like you might already have figured out for me saying it. <laughs> but, yeah, just call it digital art. Your artwork yeah. is incredible, though. Like, it oh, is so you. beautiful. And, and it takes the idea to morph, a, a, like, that formula the formula itself is a mm-hmm. thing it exists but yep. to turn it into what you've turned it into is the same way somebody you know taking a human body and turning it into a life yeah it's fucking amazing man yeah they're so cool i know and like i've i've just i've fallen in love with sort of like every 
part of fractals because yeah. initially it was just, oh, they're pretty pictures. How do I make that? You yeah, know, because yeah, yeah. that actually started like in high school as well, around the time that I had the panic attack <laughs> to do with art. Because one of our assignments was um, to take a photo of ourselves and superimpose it onto a background that we just got off like off the internet, you know, yeah. it was just to teach us how to use the program. And, you know, me being like 14 years old at the time, I was like trippy backgrounds yeah. into Google. And like I found this one image and it was just like, holy hell, how do I make that? Because mm. I thought it was to do with Photoshop or whatever we were learning. Yeah. No, it's how you do this. And, oh, it's made out of math. And, oh, you know, and it's like, but it's, it's become something that I sort of live by every day because if ever I get anxious or upset about something, you know, acknowledge it, feel it, let it happen. But then at the end, I have to remind myself, like, this is all like a part of the part of the process. Yeah, the unfolding of it. Yeah, the whatever. unfolding of it. Because mm. it, even though I'm just a blip in, in the timeline and I'm just a grain of sand in the universe, whatever, I'm still a part of it. Yeah. So, you, you know, you just have to remind yourself of the bigger picture and with fractals it's never ending. Yeah. So it's only so much that our minds can comprehend <laughs> yeah. and, like, I still don't even understand it. Like, no one fully understands infinity. They just know that it goes on forever. Yeah. But yeah, the actual concept of mulling over infinity is insane. Yeah. I did this the other night because um, allegedly there – was a brownie in my freezer that had allegedly maybe some THC in it. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I ate this brownie and then I um, forgot about it. And two hours later I was in here working and then I was kind of like, mm, I feel weird. So <laughs> I think something strange is happening to me. And I had already made a plan with my flatmate to watch the movie Inside Out. Have you seen that? Yes. It is the most beautiful movie. Um, And if anyone out there has not yet seen Inside Out, you've got to do yourself a favor and watch it. It's a kid's animated uh, Disney Pixar film about the contents of a little girl's psyche and how it impacts her external present. uh, What's the word? External actions. External actions, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I sat down and watched this movie and fuck, man, I just started imagining like the infinite level of every minute memory that has ever logged into my head is driving my future, driving my behavior and driving everyone else's behavior. And everyone else has got this minute world of infinite memories and ideas and concepts that are constantly driving them. And that goes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when I die, these things keep going bigger and bigger. Yeah. I just <laughs> melting into the couch going, this is a great <laughs> movie and a terrible movie. This is a horrible decision. <laughs> and I've never seen something so beautiful. That what it, like just this the amazing representation of the things that we never think about, I mm-hmm. think is probably like if I I could sum up the attempt of my artwork in one word, it's that. And Inside Out did it perfectly. Yeah. We have these automatic processes that are constantly happening inside our heads all the time and we never draw any attention to them unless there's a problem. Yeah. Otherwise, we just take it for granted that it just exists. For me, uh, luckily or unluckily, there's always a problem because I'm always anxious or nervous or, or thinking about something or overthinking about something. And it's gotten me into trouble in the past, so I wanted to work through it. And mm-hmm. in the last five years, been doing a lot of work to not be that psycho person, yeah. not... <laughs> 
crush myself under doubt. Yeah. And um, so I do occasionally bring awareness to it. But when a movie like that turns it into a world and a magical story and these characters that have their own feelings and ideas and motivations, it it's like it just gets to the absolute core of you. Because it's a physical thing that we can see. Yeah. So it helps us understand a bit more. Because it's kind of like one, again, coming back to sort of self-awareness, like I'll get back to fractals in a minute, but like, you know how like you'll hear people say things like growing up, they'll be like, oh, you know, um, believe in yourself, like all of the cliche Mm. shit that you hear. And then one day, like you'll wake up or something happens to you and it just clicks Yes, with you. And like, I think bringing this back into fractals, like you can, you can see something and you can go along the path like constantly. And then one day you wake up and you actually see the forest from the trees and you're like, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yes, man. Those are those inspirational moments. Like, and Mm -hmm. I think that's the kind of purpose of the artist more or less if, if we can have such a grand purpose, but it's to give (laughs) those moments to people. Yeah. And what the creators of Inside Out did say what you will about Disney or Pixar or the big or, you know, corporate America, whatever. I don't give a shit. That movie hit me so hard in the middle of my chest before I ate a weed brownie. I've already watched this movie (laughs) once. I watched it once before this too. But it really is such a powerful representation of that thing that we can't understand. Yeah. And and just being able to see it from that perspective, it it just like uh, one of... I want a philosopher a long time ago. I was creating this little web series and... Mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to understand what is art. So I read a bunch of philosophers' takes on what art is. And one of them said that art is the closest representation to the true nature of a thing. Your job as an artist is to try and find the essence of a thing and then communicate that. And that's probably as close as I can imagine what art is is to me what yeah. I, it, the difference between what, when I see something that's handcrafted, that someone really worked hard to try and get an idea out versus something that was mass produced at Kmart. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're bad. And if you, if that's all you can afford and you want to put some art on your wall and it speaks to you, great. But there is some very tangible difference between someone really working through an idea to get to the essence of a thing and then they push it out. Sometimes mm-hmm. you fail. Sometimes you don't get to the essence of the thing. Yeah. And sometimes like, you'll think it's one thing and then other people will think it's completely different Mm. to it. So, but what's cool about, and why I thought that your artwork was so interesting from the very start was that your, your artwork is not only something that anyone could hang on their wall and it looks amazing, but the foundation of it is truth at its core essence. It is a very simple truth. X plus Y plus one plus four equals this picture. Yep. And the amount of deviations off of that are infinite, and you've created a, one of an infinite possible yep. variation of it. That's mm-hmm. incredible. Yep. Any other any step along the way, if I'd have chosen something else, would have led to a completely different result. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You you give two people like the same amount of knowledge, the same formula, the same color gradients, whatever, they'll make two different things from it. Yeah. Because then that brings in sort of like the artistic interpretation of it yeah which highlights that everyone's different yeah like two twins that have the exact same dna yep. they start with the same formula but they end up totally different yep exactly. do you ever find yourself um stressed about the number of possibilities that you can create like do you ever think that um i don't know if stressed would be the word for it because i've learned to sort of translate stress into excitement 
if that makes sense, because mm. I've always been a nervous Nelly with everything, <laughs> like always, you know, worrying about what people think of me. And it's only been in the last like two or three years that I've started to deliberately try and change my perception of these things. So whenever I get stressed about something, I always tell myself like, this is exciting. Cause yeah. like, oh, that's good. Cause, cause when you're stressed, like what do you, your heart races, you get like sweaty palms or whatever. What happens when you get excited? Yeah, exactly. The heart, same. Exactly the same thing. So if you make it positive, like this is me going on a bit of a tangent right now, but if you make <laughs> it like, I'm trying to train myself to like, if something's really nerve wracking, I go, Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. That's and a good... that's, and it's, it's such a nifty little trick. Like it's not going to work every time, Yeah, but it helps you like, re- it, well, it helps me relax a bit more. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, So when it comes to like the infinite possibilities of like artworks and stuff, like it's never really stressed me. It's always kind of excited me. Like it's been overwhelming because sometimes I don't know which direction to take. So I'm like, you know what, this is a computer. I can just save all of them and come back to them later if I wanted to. Are you trying to evolve these pieces of work in any way? I've been, yeah, you see, this is the thing I'm, kind of an ideas person at the moment I haven't actually been executing because I've just been too busy with uni whatever that's that's my excuse yeah (laughs) and um but I have thought a lot about it like just recording the processes I really actually want to do streams in the future Mm. so when I get a little bit more of a following or a little bit of indication that people would want to sit with me for an hour and a half and go through something yeah you know because imagine that you're sitting with 30 people and you actually make something all together because people like can vote on which like if you've got a fork in the road which one you like do you like the more squarish one or the more organic ah, circular one yeah you know and then it's a collective piece so I, I know that there's a lot of like potential with group artworks like and and um yeah. public interactive artworks I know there's a lot of potential for that um so I, I have been thinking a lot about it I just haven't done the steps. Yeah. So. Oh, that's a cool progression from it because that it, it takes the arbitrariness out of it a little bit. Like, um, I draw, especially while I'm listening back to podcasts and recording the pod or editing the podcast later, I draw and I do these little pen drawings that are kind of all over my Instagram, but I have stopped doing them or stopped at least posting them lately because I've been feeling a little bit like I'm a one trick pony, you know, like that's kind of my entire expression has just been to make these these, um, drawings and they really served a purpose for a while, which was to get me out of that rigid shell of needing to express an idea. I was so focused on making these kind of surrealist paintings where it's like, okay, so there's, there's the concept of a dead squirrel and he's in God's territory and it's the eyes of God, you know? And that was kind of like, all right, you're getting a bit fucking pretentious here. (laughs) Don't take yourself so seriously. And so I was just doing these line drawings where I was focused on each line individually and I had no plan for where they were going to go. I would just need to see the the drawing through. Mm And sometimes they came out really cool. Sometimes they're just totally worthless. But lately, every time I've been doing it, I've been noticing like, I want more than this arbitrary path to follow. I know how to draw a line. I know how to do that. I've done this for thousands of hours over the course of my life, probably hundreds of thousands of hours. But now I want to figure out like, how can this become less arbitrary and more purposeful, more... um, 
I don't know. Like, you know, what's the challenge in this now? The challenge in it is getting through that little filter. Like you were saying before, mm-hmm. you can't draw an apple, so you'll draw an abstract apple. Yeah. And that needed to be done for the sake of you acknowledging the world of abstract art. Yeah. But then at what point are you running away from developing a skill to draw an apple? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I struggle with a lot. Yeah, me too. Because well. just because yeah. like, and it sort of ties in with the whole argument of like digital versus traditional because mm-hmm. I have a lot of conversations about digital versus traditional and from a lot of people who are like very close to me in my life as well. Like I came from a family of artists. It was a very small family, but oh, wow. my my grandfather How's that criticism? Yeah, it was it was <laughs> I very, mind mine too. <laughs> it was very interesting sort because of, that like we all lived together. It was my mum, my grandfather and I. And I was sort of like exploring this world of digital art, right? And my grandfather, who had a who had a room dedicated to like his painting, you know, like it's his paint room, the art room we called it, out the back. Um, he would, you know, go. Well, that's not real art. The computer did it for you, mm. you know, because like because he came from a different generation and had different sets of ideals and everything. And like it, it obviously hurt me a little bit when I was like going through it. But now that I look back, I think I needed it. Yeah, because just that challenge of like, oh, it's not real art. I'm like, yes, it is. You yeah, know? And, I'll, and, and, I'll show and, you that it, it is. And it challenged me to sort of like think about it in a in in, in a more in depth, you know, to yeah. think about digital versus traditional. And traditional, you know, is something with substance. You know, like you can see the paint, you can see the texture, you can physically see the steps that the person went through to get to that end result. Yeah. Whereas with digital art, it's just a final sort of image there's no real way to identify the process behind it but what you're doing with those those time-lapse videos actually yeah. does that does that exact thing that's really yeah. cool because um we've talked about jackson pollock just a little bit in the last podcast mm-hmm. which never will see the light of day sadly. <laughs> um that uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with what jackson pollock does i'll put a link on here so you can see it but um he was an abstract artist that basically splattered giant canvases with different colors of paint mm-hmm. um and so a lot of people, definitely tons of people that didn't understand it at the time would even especially now look at him and go, what the fuck is that? Yep. At its point in time, Jackson Pollock was revolutionary yep. because everybody was so focused on forms and representative art and cubism was the thing then and surrealism. Yep. They were these really intensely constructed human creations and he just went fuck that yeah. i want to create the concept of the passage of time emotions over the passage of time so a lot of the, the fundamental idea behind making his painting was a color or a certain stroke rep- mm-hmm. represents an emotion that i'm feeling at that moment so he gets present with himself sits there and then just goes yeah and then how can i over the course of this time from one splatter to three thousand that the final result is the passage of time yep. and each stroke is an emotion within that passage of time, mm-hmm. which is a cool idea, a really cool concept. Um, and so what you've done now, you have the ability that Jackson Pollock never had is to take a photo of the process at every single step along the way, yep. put it into a little video, and then we can watch you go through that emotion through time. Yep. That's pretty amazing. And like, I love Pollock as well. Mm. Um, there's actually been... I wouldn't say like a study done into it, but there's been research 
um, undertaken on Pollock's paintings and he actually exhibits fractal patterns in his splatters. Wow. There's an actual like article on it. I'll try and find it and link you to it so you can yeah, potentially cool. show it. But um, if you think about it, if holding a brush and moving your arm in a fast motion to get the splatter when you move your arm, you're not only creating this, the initial splatter, but because of the motion of your arm and the, traje- the, the trajectory of the drops on the, the canvas, you know, it mimics that motion. Yes. And then oh, he, wow, yeah. And then he layers that upon itself and that's like the fractal <gasps> yeah. pattern. So, like, I, I thought that was really, really cool. Oh, that is it. amazing. So it's amazing that you brought up Jackson Pollock just to talk about it because th- there is actually, yeah, he, he's a fractal artist as well. Yeah, it, sense. it is. So it is... <laughs> Yeah, that it's an echo. Yeah. The actual painting is an echo of a physical movement. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm just getting this idea right now. How cool would this be? It wouldn't, I'd have to do it somewhere else than the gym because I destroyed the gym. But imagine <laughs> if you stood in paint and then did like a Muay Thai. Like a fighting routine or yeah, like a training like, session. Yeah, yeah, put together a combo and then like wherever your paint splatters landed that would be like what a round kick looks like that's so cool that would be awesome all right i'll keep that in the books then (laughs) yeah good nice well it'll give us another reason to do this again i um it's good we just talked for just over an hour so we should probably stop it there and make sure that it actually fucking recorded this time It's all right if it doesn't. I'm just around the corner, so yeah. it's fine. We'll just keep doing this over yeah. and over again. <laughs> Nobody in the world will ever hear our podcast, but That's at least right. we get it to. <laughs> um, so if people want to find you, where do they go? Yes, so um, I'm on a couple of different social medias, um, Instagram, Facebook. It's the brand that I follow is Magic House. That's M-A-G-I-C-K-H-O-U-S-E. Magic House Art. Magic and House. it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, and I'll have all the links to here to that on here. Thank you. Thank you.